0: Some of the best times that I had in college, Sherry, were spring break trips with all my friends. Uh, most, I think all but the last one was before I had even met you, but, man, we had some great times. We went to, I don't know why the, this was the place to go when you and I were in college, because but it was very popular, South Padre Island, Texas. Hmm. And I did that at twice, I think. I think it was just twice that I went to Padre. But they were great times. It was a beautiful beach, tons and tons of college kids. We'd go across the border into Mexico and buy cheap stuff and you know, hit the bars there and that was always an adventure. One time it was so much of an adventure that I got separated from the rest of the group and had to hitch a ride back with a couple named Lupe and Juan and their daughter who was eating like flaming flaming Cheetos in the back seat. But they were really flaming, and I she shared one with me, and it was not good. It was just not good. But <laughs> but okay. I got back across and survived. But one of the one of the best stories from the spring break trips, the South Padre Island trips, was one year me and one of the other guys, we got up in the morning before everyone else, and we had been drinking keg beer on the beach all week, and we weren't working super hard on the ice situation, so it was certainly in the afternoons it was warm keg beer, and this one particular friend who was up with me in the morning, he said, I am so sick of warm keg beer, let's go make some hairy buffalo today, do you know what hairy buffalo is Sherry? No. It's when you like mix all the pretty much like the clear liquids, liquors like gin and rum and vodka. Oh, that's disgusting. With a lot of fruit juice and fruit and you pour like a big bag of sugar in there and just stir it all up. It's actually quite tasty. The dangerous part is the fruit because the fruit soaks, like you've got chopped up watermelon and pineapple and strawberries and stuff floating (laughs) around in there and it soaks it all up and when you eat the fruit, that's kind of the knockout punch. But it was a particularly fabulous day. This friend and I went to a hardware store and we had to go to the liquor store and we had to go to the grocery store and get all this stuff and somehow we had there was like a pool of beer money that we he must have been the treasurer or something, so we took all that money to go do this and it was a great day, man. Everybody had a had a blast. Those trips were great. They were great bonding experiences. Really enjoyed. One time we went we went skiing here in in Colorado. Um, where did we go? It wasn't Copper. It was Steamboat. Yeah, we went to Steamboat, and that was a super fun trip. So, just had some great times with these guys, and not even all on on spring break. My college friends. I was in a fraternity. And one year I was the philanthropy chairman, which, so my job was to have some kind of a fundraiser for charity. And I don't know, I don't remember who came up with this, whether it was me or somebody else, but the the idea that we executed, whoever's idea it was, it, it ended up being a bad idea, so I guess I should claim it, it was my idea. But we took this beautiful sand volleyball court we had in the back behind the parking lot of our fraternity And I ordered a bunch of dirt from a local construction warehouse or something. I don't know. And they brought the dirt and then we watered it for like three days and made it a mud pit. And we had a mud volleyball court and we called it Mudfest. And Mm. bought t-shirts and sold Mudfest t-shirts and charged other fraternities and sororities an entry fee to come be in our tournament.
1: What was the charity that you I don't
0: remember. Okay. I actually was just thinking about that as you were asking. That's why I was so quick. To cut you off, I don't remember what the charity was. Maybe Boys and Girls Club? Feels like we did a lot with them. But, you know, the dirt was expensive, and the t-shirts were expensive, and I wasn't very good at my job, so we barely, you know, we might have taken in a thousand bucks, but we spent 800 or something, so... The donation was minor, a couple hundred bucks. And I think I bought way more t-shirts than we needed because I remember having those t-shirts around for years and years and years (laughs) after Mudfest. And the worst part of the whole thing was it's really easy to take a beautiful sand volleyball court and turn it into a mud pit, but it's, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, it is impossible, physically impossible, to turn it back from a mud pit into a sand volleyball court. So I basically destroyed that volleyball court and I don't know if to this day I don't know what's come of it. Uh, I know we tried to figure it out, we tried to get rid of the dirt, we tried to put sand over. I don't, I, I don't remember the details. I just remember I took a lot of heat for destroying the the beautiful volleyball court, and frankly, I felt bad about it for a long time. Um, but I didn't, I didn't do anything to rectify it. If I'm being honest, so that was that was no good. But but those, but times out there on the volleyball court with the guys and, you know, the, the Mudfest event itself was super fun. Just some really, really great memories. And then, you know, it continued for a little while after, after college,
1: after graduation, after
0: graduation I mean, you know, everyone started kind of getting married shortly after college. I mean, a few years, I guess, after college, but I went to a bachelor party in Las Vegas, with a bunch of the guys and just had an absolute blast until I decided I was smarter than the casino odds makers and started betting on college basketball and I lost $1200 and you and I weren't married yet but we had a joint account that we as as an engaged couple mm-hmm. and that was a disaster oh yeah that was the that was the really the first big time that I thought you might call off the engagement when I told you about that upon return to Chicago we lived in Chicago at the time but that was a quite an adventure quite a, quite a fun trip with a pretty unhappy ending and then just tons of weddings lots of our friends I mean my favorite was the one a friend from that we met after college from work got married in St. Paul Minnesota on a Friday night and you and I attended that wedding. We lived in Chicago at the time. We drove from St. Paul to Chicago after the wedding and we didn't leave exactly early. We stayed for a couple couple hours into the reception and got to Chicago at what? I don't know, like four in the morning or something, right? And took a shower and got a change of clothes and then drove to Indianapolis from Chicago and went to another wedding on Saturday. Yeah. That was a really fun time. No sleep probably. Very little sleep. Yeah, we, but we were young, we could do things like that without sleep. We don't, you know, we talk obviously a lot about alcohol and alcoholism on this podcast. We we didn't drink in St. Paul, at least I didn't, you might have a little bit at the wedding? Or maybe I just had a champagne toast or something, but we since had we champagne. had to drive home... I think we home...
1: were smart. I think that yeah. it was... Surprisingly, we were smart.
0: I th- Well, and, and speaking for an alcoholic, I can say the only reason I was smart is because I knew I had another big party coming up the next yeah. night. So if we were just going to drive home late on Friday night, I would not have been smart. That would have been a disaster. But I, I didn't have a problem staying sober Friday night because I knew... Uh, and I, as I recall, I don't remember the details. I'm not even 100% sure which wedding that was. I think I know which one it was. I'm pretty sure I made a huge ass of myself Saturday you night. You did. Okay. You,
1: you jumped, um, either you were jumping over a table, uh, yeah.
0: So I made made up for the lost yeah. ability to partake on Friday night by doubling up on Saturday.
1: Yeah. Like you jumped over maybe the gift table or something and. Yeah. I don't know
0: didn't clear it.
1: He then reciprocated very well at our wedding reception. Yeah,
0: that's right. But, you know, really good times. Really, really good friends. The kind of friends that when you're living together in college, they become family. And you don't even know it, but it's the first time you're out on your own and you're away from your parents and I was away from my sister and it, it wasn't traumatic to be away from home. It wasn't uncomfortable and I didn't really like sit down and have a conscious thought about why is this no problem? Why am I so excited to be on my own? But looking back, it's clear. The answer is I had these great friends who were just really, you know, taking the place, not taking the father and mother role, but taking the place of emotional support and and always, we were always there for each other and checking in on each other. You know, we were checking in on each other because we wanted someone to hang out with. So it wasn't like we were looking out for each other. But, but we were still looking out for each other just because...
1: We were looking out for
0: yourself. We were just trying out. to hang out and yeah. have fun.
1: Yeah.
0: And we we got very, very close and stuck together very well. And then we graduated and went our separate ways. And, you know, people fall out of touch and it's hard... This is not an excuse I did a terrible job but it's hard to stay connected and I didn't put the effort in and, and so we, we drifted apart and then there are guys that I count in this list of people that I felt you know like like brothers with like family with the last time you and I saw them was I don't know six or eight years after we graduated there was a funeral for one of the guys very, very, very sad situation. Traumatic, awful, um, not natural causes. Horrific situation. And we went to the funeral, and you know, we all cried together, and we we did our best to be supportive of of the people that were closest to this, the, the gentleman who passed away, and then the family and then we parted company and little did I know that that was going to be the last time I saw a great many number of, of the people that I considered that I had been for so long, so close to. And not only the last time I saw a lot of those people, last time I talked to them, like there's a, a lot of people that I have these ingrained memories and you were there for my last year. We were together the last year in college and you knew mm-hmm. a lot of these guys very well too. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, that that's my last memory of a lot of them is is a bit sad because I did I didn't make the effort to stay connected and I, I regret that.
1: Yeah
0: um, but so a, a lot has a lot has happened since and I feel like I, I'm coming to the realization now that I have offended a lot of my friends. Not so much the college friends, because honestly, other than us being connected by Facebook, I've, like I said, lost touch, and I just didn't think they knew what was going on with me, and I certainly didn't know what was going on with them, so we just largely lost touch, but, but I've realized that I've offended a lot of people in the last couple of years with my writing, and what I mean by that is, you know, part of recovering from alcoholism, part of getting sober was doing a lot of research and understanding how brain chemistry works and understanding how alcohol or any addictive substance chocolate cake, shopping, pornography, drugs any of it, how it hijacks the pleasure system in our brains and that that's that's what addiction really is and I've, I've come to realize that there is no safe or good or suggested or recommended or okay amount of alcohol. Alcohol is even for the moderate drinkers who can have two or three beers every night after work and they don't think it's causing a problem in their life, it's it's not healthy, it's not good. It's the 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 way you get a buzz is toxification of your neurotransmitter system, your brain cells and that's bad for anybody. And I've written about that. And I've even, you know, I've used, and and part of what it's important to understand here is that my audience is, our audience is alcoholics and loved ones of alcoholics. And so explaining how it works is important for those people to hear. It's an important, it's important for an alcoholic who's struggling, a high functioning alcoholic, trying to decide whether or not to get alcohol out of their life. It's important for them to vilify alcohol and realize that the idea of being jealous of the moderate drinker, that idea's kind of gotta go if you want to be successful in permanent sobriety. You need to stop wishing you could have something you can't, not only because like jealousy is just not a good thing, but because because there is no again safe quantity of alcohol. It's not an esteemable thing. It's not something to aspire to and so when I talk like that and I write like that I've, I've even often now written you know, that I feel sorry for moderate drinkers because they don't know, they don't know what they don't know they don't realize how much more full clear, crisp um, I use the word enlightenment which I'm sure is insulting too, how much more enlightened their lives can be if they got the alcohol out of there and I mean I've gotten emails and private messages from friends saying hey I read your last you know whatever and you were talking about feeling sorry for moderate drinkers man that uh, what did you mean by that or that that doesn't feel good and I've done my best to say you know different strokes for different folks and you do you but this is what I do now I write about this stuff and I gotta speak the truth as I believe it Mm -hmm. and my audience you know it's funny, when I first started writing, I was desperate for an audience and I was so thankful to have friends and family as an audience. People that weren't alcoholics, but that just cared about me. And as, as a result of them being part of the audience, they've read a lot of things that have insulted them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm not saying that I should have hidden any of this from people, but I certainly don't want to insult them either. And I stand by everything I've written. I stand by my position that there is no safe quantity of alcohol, and it—it's not has no redeeming characteristics. There's always studies about like a glass of red wine is good for your heart. Yeah,
1: grape juice does the same thing.
0: Yeah, grape juice does the same thing, and there's a hundred other ways yeah. to get the same thing too, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know about a hundred, but
0: but there's no necessity to drink wine for your health. Like that's just a myth. And that's not me. That's not Matt the writer speaking. That's all these therapists and nutritionists and
1: yeah, you always wonder things who I've like, read and people I've like talked to. You wonder who puts those studies out. Like, who's doing the study? You know, because it could be, you know, the grape wine industry that's funding, funding the study, you uh, know. 100%.
0: Like the
1: wine grape industry, not grape wine, but wine yeah. grape industry, you know, because you wouldn't know, like, right?
0: Well, I think sometimes we do know, and I think that that's what it is. The thing about studies, right, is they have to be funded. Nobody does a study for free, and so the funding has to come from somebody that's hoping that the study proves a certain thing.
1: Exactly. And
0: if the study doesn't prove the thing they were hoping to, that study gets buried and doesn't get published. mm -hmm. So if you read a study that says that wine has health benefits, you better look, because I bet a beverage company supported that study. Because if it said otherwise, we would just never hear about that study. That's, and that's not specific to alcohol. That's just
1: every yeah, lots of that's things. that's
0: how it works.
1: Lots of things. So it's crazy.
0: So I've offended these people, and
1: but they're but they're also not like necessarily your your audience because, like you said, they're just like your friends or family or people that have shown support by reading and listening and signing on. They're people that you want to inform. But they're getting offended. I yeah. think they're getting a little. They're getting offended a little out of character because they're not really your audience. They are reading because you're writing it, not because they're interested in your subject necessarily or your topic.
0: I think that's a hundred percent correct. But it just it solidifies one of the things that we've learned over the years that you never well that it's hard to talk to drinkers about drinking or, or about not drinking in this case because it's just nat- human nature for people to take whatever you're saying, even if you're talk- telling your own story and talking about your experiences, specifically I'm speaking about me. People take that and twist that into what that means for their life. And so when mm-hmm. you talk to drinkers about drinking, they immediately get defensive. That's just how it works. So if I, if I write something and my audience is high-functioning alcoholics who are trying to figure out how to quit drinking or the, the spouses and other loved ones of high-functioning alcoholics. And I talk about the fact that there are no redeeming qualities for alcohol and you shouldn't be jealous of moderate drinkers. That's, I believe, I believe that's a powerful message for a high-functioning alcoholic trying to get sober. Mm-hmm. But for a two or three drink a night person who doesn't think it's causing any problems in their life, that's offensive. And that's insulting and I sound arrogant and I sound like a big fat jerk. And so like I said, I have over the years been aware of of some of that from pretty much friends that were post-college, people I worked with after college and that maybe I had done a slightly better job of staying in touch with, although not in constant contact with. But I was aware of that I had piss some people off basically. And then this past week I wrote an article and it was about about the love between friends when we were in college and about how, you know, alcoholism doesn't start from a place of evil, in my opinion. Alcoholism almost always starts from a place of innocence. And what I meant by that is I I I never in a million years dreamt that Drinking the way we did in college would cause, would be a part of the cause of me becoming an alcoholic eventually. And everything that we did in college was from a place of innocence. We were just trying to get a degree and trying to have a good time. We never set out to do anything evil. We never hurt anybody. We never stole anything. Um, the only rule I can ever remember break, breaking was underage drinking. So here we were, this you know, innocent young group of kids just, just trying to get by. And we ended up with some turmoil in our lives and I won't go through the turmoil of the other people, what they had to deal with as adults. All of it was manageable. None of it was disgraceful. And that was the entire point of the article, (coughs) excuse me, that, um, that there's no shame, To alcoholism, there's no shame to any of the other things that happen to any of the the people involved. Because
1: it's just life circumstances.
0: Yeah. I mean, you become an adult and you got stuff to deal with. And these were really good people doing their best to deal with it. But I made a mistake and I posted a picture uh, associated with the article of a bunch of my friends from college and me just hanging out. We all had beers in our hands but we were clearly you know between the ages of 18 and 22 there wasn't any question that these that the picture looked like it was present day a bunch of near 50 year olds i mean i think you can tell the difference between college age and 50 year olds so
1: the amount of hair gave it
0: away the amount of hair was a big part of it yeah the fact that we all had our shirts tucked in. That's yes, another. yes, that was another good <laughs> and, one. And, and the, belted, uh, yeah. Not just belts, but those like w- braided, woven, braided, yeah. woven belts. Oh, yeah, yeah, lots of those. Yeah. So, but the picture got me in trouble. A lot of, I got a lot of heat. Uh, a lot of private messages from guys for whom I didn't have a phone number. They didn't have mine. Um.
1: And they're just people that so are they, Facebook friends yeah, to your Facebook page, so they yeah. just private message you or messenger you or something.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, the ones that message me also referenced, hey, I've got another 20 guys behind me that are angry about this too. So there were a fair number of messages, but even beyond that, I, I it was clear that there was a huge groundswell of anger about this. And the you know the i guess the obvious fear and the reason that i apologize for posting the picture is people are afraid that if they're associated with topics like i think one of the people put called it blatant alcoholism that they're afraid for their own jobs and they're afraid for their own families and livelihoods that makes me mega sad because you cannot be fired in this country for being a, a friend of an alcoholic yeah <clears throat> um I made no insinuation that everyone in the picture was an alcoholic. Right. I mean...
1: Well, I wonder how much time they took to read the article, because I read the article. I didn't hear anything that was outstanding, like you were talking about. Yeah. You know, the association with these, with this, you know, vagrant in this photo, like you being, because you talked about you and things that happened to...
0: Yeah, and I mean, I talked about other things that happened to other people that weren't alcoholism, but I just, the point of it was we all have had to deal with stuff and we are all innocent and need not carry around a big burden of shame. And that's important for my readers to read because shame is what separates success from failure when it comes to recovery from alcoholism. When we carry around this guilt and shame because we contracted this disease that afflicts over 15 million Americans it's more common than cancer you know when we we carry around this this shame and guilt from it it's it makes recovery nearly impossible it wasn't until I was able to shed the shame and say hey look um this isn't my fault that I'm an alcoholic that I was able that's when I was able to get so the
1: article you weren't blaming the situation you were in and them right for your alcoholism?
0: No, not at all. I, I was saying so. okay. we lived through this in, very innocent time together where we thought nothing we were doing would have any ramifications later down the road. Turns out it did. But I I wasn't intending in the article to blame anyone in in the picture or otherwise that were mm-hmm. that I talked about in the article cuz the guys in the picture weren't even necessarily the exact guys that I was writing about, like they were, it was the yeah. picture was just representative. It was a bunch of guys standing around with beers in their hand. They were college age, so I thought, great, perfect picture. I hate doing the picture part of writing, but if you don't put yeah. up a picture, then nobody clicks on the article, so it's important. And I said, okay, great, perfect picture, boom, and I used it. And I didn't. I mean, it was stupid. It was stupid. I shouldn't have used other people's image without talking to them. I honestly, I assume because we were. Such good friends way back in the day. I assumed that they knew at least something of what I was going through, and that they were supportive. So I made stupid assumptions. I didn't take into consideration the fear that they would have for their own situations—again, their careers or their for family, family. situations—for being associated with somebody like me. Mm-hmm. And that was nearsighted and stupid. And I—I'm, and you know, I've been doing this for too long, frankly, to make a mistake like that. So. So I am very sorry for making that mistake. But I guess the the lasting impact which is the reason I'm talking about this besides I have to have made a public apology in writing I'm happy to make one verbally too here. But besides that um I'm kind of bombed. I don't feel great right now for and sure. it's because of the the lack of support on both both sides, both from friends that some friends that we've made since college, and then clearly there's this big groundswell of people that hate me, hates too strong a word, but are pissed off from our college days and <clears throat> bums me out because um if if you're if you're the kind of alcoholic that's just the sad sack um I'm struggling to get sober uh. I'm having no success. I keep relapsing. Then, it it's a lot easier, I think, for people to give support because the kind of support is we're pulling for you. We hope you conquer those demons. They use all those words yeah. I like, like we hope you get back on the wagon, yeah, and we hope you're successful as a teetotaler. I love all the the <laughs> words that are associated with alcoholism. But when you've got somebody that has found some success in long-term sobriety and is trying to dig into the root cause and why this disease exists and what can we do to eliminate it. And starts talking about some really uncomfortable truths. 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 The support system seems to disappear because the support system starts to get offended and feel like you're pointing the finger at them for their culpability in in your in my mm-hmm. alcoholism in this case or. Or they don't want to look at their own drinking.
1: Also, I, I mean, just right now when you were thinking about that and I was thinking about like your picture, all of a sudden it made me think like a lot of these people have kids that will soon be of the age of being like you guys were. Right. And isn't it kind of nice to know like the things that could potentially happen with that exposure of binge drinking and constant drinking and... Like it's it's a good message. Like I think is a, and a good reminder to like make sure you have a good long talks with your kids who are getting ready to crash, you know, cross that threshold of college life that they won't be supervised.
0: Well, I think that's huge and a really important point. But that's where I feel like I've failed and I haven't delivered the message properly because we're talking about a group of people, and I was in this category until. 15 years ago, a group of people that look at those four years as the greatest four years of their lives. And they want that for their kids. The fact that we kind of cheated death a few times. Well, I know. But don't you always
1: want better for your kids?
0: Yeah, but I I mean, I think... Like, I
1: would never want uh, my kids to experience the college that I experienced. Yeah. Like, that would frighten
0: me. I wouldn't either. But I think if you haven't experienced the kind of turmoil that you and I have for the past 15 years... And all you've got is the, the great memories of the drunken times together and, and non-drunken times. I had a lot of fun with these guys. We weren't always drinking. But when you've got that memory and you're now you're now dealing with real life situations, your mortgage and raising your kids and the boss that you hate and whatever,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you're, you're approaching 50, all, and your kids are in their late teens, all you can think is that was the best four years of my life and I want my kids to have that same experience. And who the hell is this guy? Blaming me for his problems. Mm. So, I I think, and maybe I'm misreading everything, but I think I get where people are coming from. It's just unfortunate. It really makes me sad that we can't have a an honest conversation about the fact that alcohol is just a drug like any of the rest of them. Chemically, it works the same as heroin and cocaine and all of them in our reward systems. And just because it's legal, doesn't mean it mean it's different but clearly we can't. And so you and I <clears throat> excuse me, have you know, we we talk a lot about the good side and we're going to get in this conversation, we're going to get to the good side of recovery in in just a minute. But it would be naive not to acknowledge that we have lost relationships over My sobriety and our recovery and that you don't even have to go back to the college days or the people that I worked with for a long time like you can come to present day I mean there's stuff that we clearly don't get invited to anymore that we used to with friends that we are still live in town here with and we're still friends with Mm -hmm. because you know if it's if it's alcohol centric which most adult parties are whether we admit it or not We're just not getting that invite. Mm -hmm. And.
1: I mean, it's nice. We still get an invitation and I love it every year for this one Halloween party. It's kind of an open house. Yeah. It unfortunately always falls when I have something that I've worked for for our fall festival through our church. So I'm already pooped. But the first time we turned it down was the year that you were trying to be sober
0: well, that time we turned it down because I said I couldn't be in that environment. Exactly. Okay, yeah.
1: yeah. so you took that year plus and then there was another time that I think you were sober at um, that point of the year, I don't know they've had it for years, but you know there was a you took like that year or so off of any social engagements.
0: Well, that was, I wouldn't be sober if I hadn't. I mean, that was a key to sobriety. Yeah, so
1: I'm saying, like, that was kind of the start of our, and then you came out and told people that you were um, an alcoholic, and so then everybody was very worried about, people are worried about inviting us to anything, so.
0: And so it's, I, I think it's naive, or I think it's distorted truthfulness if we don't acknowledge the fact that we have lost friendships over my sobriety, because... That's one of the biggest fears that people that I talk to that are considering sobriety or are in early sobriety or they're the spouse of someone who's in early sobriety. They're worried that they're not going to get invited to the things they love to do
1: because they're not going to be fun anymore.
0: Yeah, they're not going to be fun. And, you know, I think people people are good natured also. And sometimes they say, well, I don't want to invite Matt and Sherry because I know we're going to drink a bunch and I don't want Matt and Sherry to feel uncomfortable. So, I I mean, I get it from like all points of view, but it's only fair to admit that we have, there has been loss in friendships going, going back, apparently I didn't realize till this week, but all the way back to my college days based on my sobriety. And that's where, you know, connection becomes really important. And that's, this is the uplifting part of it that I want to talk about as much as I've lost these, what, what were once really important friendships, but eh, they kind of became superficial over the years <clears throat> as much as we've lost those, some of those we've also some, some gained some really important, really tight friendships. And I talk about this all the time. It's not even always other people that are in recovery, although often it is. But it's, it's people that have gone through something. And that something can be breast cancer, that something can be a bad divorce, uh, that something can be some other illness, an eating disorder, the loss of a child. I'm just thinking of of examples in, in my head where that person has suffered and then through our openness and the willingness that we have to talk about the suffering that we've been through, we've really bonded with some people over that, even when their topic wasn't alcohol. Because, you know, nobody wants to be alone. And, and if you're willing to talk about your stuff, that opens the door for me to talk about my stuff and some really great connections and bonds can come from that. And so, you know, if I was to net it out and say, we've lost these relationships, but we've gained these others, we're still way, 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 you know, in the positive because the, the, depth and the sincerity and the importance of the relationships we've gained far exceeds, you know, some Facebook friendships or or just occasional phone call or Christmas card in December mm-hmm. kind of relationships with the people that we've lost. And you know, the the lost invitations that we've had locally I have to stop and think about it to to realize that it's even happening. I mean, we're so busy. I don't ever feel like, gosh, I wish we had more on the social calendar. I don't know. Do you?
1: No, not really. I don't really think about it.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, a lot of the... <clears throat> I guess a lot of the friendships that you're saying that we kind of lost, like you mentioned, were all kind of superficial friendships, or just a good... If, you know, good acquaintances. Good acquaintances, kind of, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, you know, neighborhood local people could be, or like your group of college friends. I mean, it was all, most of those were all very superficial. and
0: Now, they didn't used to be, but now yeah, they were.
1: yeah Yeah, well, even just a few years out of college, like the ones that you didn't keep in contact with, you know, those people kind of floated away first because they were just not in your core group of friends, so... Mm-hmm. And now, yeah.
0: Well, so one of the things that we wanna we wanna mention, and we're gonna mention it every time we do Intoxicated podcasts, is our Echoes of Recovery program, because it is all about that kind of connection, that kind of deep and meaningful connection for the loved ones of alcoholics with each other to give them someone who understands what it's like to be in a relationship with an alcoholic and it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. We have people in the program that are are parents of alcoholics, children of alcoholics and certainly lots of spouses of alcoholics. And you know, they don't they don't maybe want to be as vocal as you and I are about our situation, so they don't have people Knocking on their door, that's saying, "Hey, I want to be. I want to talk more with you about this because I can't believe how open you are about your stuff. Let me tell you about my stuff." And so, we in Echoes of Recovery are a place for people to talk about their stuff.
1: Yeah, because usually we, as the loved ones, don't get to talk about it.
0: Yeah, because it's
1: usually secretive.
0: Because you've got an alcoholic saying, maybe that's I don't why share my doing... secrets." Yeah,
1: maybe that's why when you ask that question about like friendships, maybe. Maybe because I didn't have good friendships when you were drinking. I was afraid to have true, deep friendships with people.
0: Because I didn't
1: want the secret out. Yeah. So now the friendships are definitely more meaningful.
0: You were afraid at that time and I was incapable. Yeah. Because for me it was just about drinking. So even people that I would have considered like my best of friends back then... Really, we were just getting together and drinking and telling the same stories over and over, and there wasn't much deep, meaningful yeah stuff going on so. so if so if that's the kind of connection that you're you're looking for and and if you feel like you're in a unique situation as a loved one of an alcoholic, I can assure you that you are not, and we would like to to welcome you to join us and connect with other People who are loved ones of alcoholics and share the same pain but the same hopefulness and the same goals and and share the same strategies to, to recover and to feel better. And so if you're interested, please check us out at echoesofrecovery.com, E-C-H-O-E-S of recovery.com. And we'd love you to learn more about and join if you can. You know, when we talk about those deep and meaningful relationships, Sherry... You know, it's, it's funny because at the time that we're recording this, it hasn't even been 24 hours since I had two really deep and meaningful conversations. The, the first one is a friend that, as a result of the COVID-19 economic shutdown, is getting just crushed, his, his situation, his business is getting just crushed and I called him yesterday just to see how he was doing and I don't know it's such a helpless feeling to call someone in a situation like that and say you know I want to listen and how can I help because you know you can't do anything to help but this person because of we've been friends for a long time for sure we were drinking buddies back when I drank but because he knows so much about what I've been through. He himself is not an alcoholic, uh, although he, he has experience with alcoholism through his family, Mm -hmm. but he like went deep last night, Sherry, and was telling me a bunch of details about fighting depression. And I mean, he even brought up the word suicide and that that's been something that he's had to battle over the years. And, you know, it was a, it was such a, Heartwarming conversation and I I didn't do much other than listen and, you know, nod my head and say all the things you say. I'm here for you and thanks for confiding in me. And, you know, some of what he talked about, I could I could relate to certainly. So it was just a great conversation. And I got off the phone and I felt so good about it. And that's the kind of conversation that is not available to someone who hasn't made themselves available to others. So through the vulnerability that you and I have have shown in dealing with our alcoholism, my alcoholism and our alcoholic marriage, it is like laying down a welcome mat for other people to share their stuff. And, you know, here I am in the midst of all these old friends from college, I can feel the groundswell of hatred (laughs) You know, to rise up coming page. at me oh, and, and even while that's happening I'm having this other conversation with this guy that's struggling right now and he's making me feel like a really really good friend yeah and so that was that was powerful and then and there's one more a, another call mm-hmm. on the same day and, and I I, I want to mention this because it was really really again really meaningful. I got a call. After that call, I just described from one of the guys from back in the college days. Again, this is a guy that I was really close with, but haven't seen since that funeral that I referenced. So it's been 20 years since I've seen or heard from him 20 ish years, something like that. And, you know, he was upset about the picture that I posted, but he was maturely upset. He wasn't screaming and yelling he started out, he wouldn't even get into what he wanted to talk about till he asked me about our family and so of course I asked him about his family, he put me at ease right away because as soon as I saw that he was calling, I was like, oh my god, he's going to be mad about the picture, but before he even got into that, he, he genuinely wanted to reconnect his friends and then he expressed his concerns and I apologized and told him what I would do to rectify the situation and then we, we went on and talked about other stuff and kind of made a commitment to each other to try to stay connected, even as hard as it is. This is someone that lives 2,000 miles away from me, but we're going to do our best. And, um, man, I can't tell you how good that felt to, to hear from someone who, uh, was just as angry as, like I said, the, the kind of swarm of other people that are angry, but, but instead of just talk behind my back or send me, um, message. Yeah and I mean I don't want to rip on the, the guys that sent the messages they were cordial it was fine mm-hmm. but you know this guy this, he just he went above and beyond right? He did what we don't do anymore we don't even realize that telephones have a talk function anymore. Exactly. They're either for social media or, or texting. texting. Yeah. But this guy figured out how to use his phone for talking and he actually called me and it was I, I, you know it's been less than 24 hours so this is a hard thing for me to say but I don't think I'll ever forget that phone call. As long as I live, because he reaching didn't out have that to do that—that's right—is
1: much better. So mature to really have a conversation instead of just being one-liner back and forth.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, in the off chance that he listens to this, um, you know, I've thanked him personally for the call, and I'll thank him again here because that was—it wasn't even brave of him. I don't even want to say that. I mean, it was just cool of him. It was—it was what we've we've lost the art of communication and he found it and it was it was really meaningful so so i guess the moral sherry is that you know things change we've said it over and over again with sobriety nothing stays the same for lasting sobriety and true recovery and enlightenment and evolving yourself as a human being nothing's going to stay the same and part of that is sad I'm sad about the relationships lost, and particularly today, because uh, you know it's been a rough week. I'm particularly sad about the relationships lost, but but the good way, way, way outweighs the bad, and the even in the, just the category of relationships, the depth and the meaningfulness of the relationships that we have. You know, our daughter—it's um, graduation week this week and next week. And she, there was a virtual awards ceremony earlier this week, and she got a, a bunch of awards, academic mostly um, awards, and some of the parents that we're friends with, you know, we got a bunch of texts like, hey, wow, that was awesome. And, like, that that felt really good because, um, you know, I just said phone calls are better than texts, but, but the texts were nice yeah. to receive because... Um, we do have, we are blessed. We have a lot of relationships that have survived our, my alcoholism and our recovery. And, um, and you, you don't lose all your friends when you recover. You just don't. The ones that are the true friends stick around.
1: That's what I was going to say. The true friends. that's what I was trying to point out earlier was just some of the superficial friends that fell off of the radar. Yeah. Like a few years after college. Yeah. So then now you just have these deeper relationships now that alcohol is taken out of the way and you can really go deep and they're just much more fulfilling
0: Yeah.
1: than having a, you know, it's like, I'd rather have 10 people that I really enjoy on Facebook than have 10,000 that I don't give a crap about. Yeah. You know, like that numbers game. Yeah. Because the relationships are so much more satisfying. They are. And fulfilling.
0: They are. They are. Yeah, and so, and thank you to you because yesterday it was kind of rough when this was all kind of boiling over and I was, I was emotional. I was kind of, not, I, don't know, I don't know if that was a basket case, but I was emotional yeah. and I was upset and you were awesome to me and I appreciate that. Well, thank you.
1: Well, I know it was emotional and I was emotional and, you know, I felt bad for your pain.
0: Well, thanks for being the awesomest wife. I think that should be most awesome. Sometimes it's really hard to believe that I'm a writer, isn't it? (laughs) Thanks for being the awesomest wife, as always. I love you, Sherry.
1: I love you too, Matt. For my wife,
0: Sherry Salis, I am Matt Salis, and this has been another episode of the Untoxicated Podcast. And I promise I will be in a better mood next time. Thanks for listening, everybody.